0: to be in it.
1: We are passionate about being a safe place where kids can ask questions and where teachers can learn beside them.
0: We believe this generation is worth pouring into because they are the future of the church.
1: We want to armor them with truth so they can stand firm with Jesus no matter what life throws at them.
2: I'm Randy Carpenter and we're involved in the children's ministry. And the mission statement of the church is helping others to find and follow Jesus. And there's not a better place to do it than in kids' ministry, because that's the future of the church. And it's so rewarding to see those kids learn and to see them grow. Um, You connect with them, you have a relationship with them. It's kind of fun when you see them in the hallways of church and they see who you are. You get high fives, you get hugs, and it's, a need that's there and it's a very rewarding ministry
0: my favorite ministry is teaching kids um, if you're going to teach kids are honestly the easiest to teach because kids love to learn and they're a blessing um, I think that new hope is blessed beyond measure to have all the young families and all the young children that they have in this congregation and we have a responsibility to teach them. So we have this little army that we can send out for Jesus. And I would like to challenge all of you empty nesters to volunteer an hour or a half an hour on one of Amplify's Wednesday nights, um, an hour for Sunday morning and help um, equip God's army.
3: I'm Kelsey Moeller, and I serve in kids ministry because of a couple of reasons. When Garrett and I first came, we knew we wanted to jump in and get involved at church um, because we just wanted to invest in a church family. Knew we needed that community, and one of the first few Sundays, uh, Katie got up and was like, hey, we have a huge need for kids ministry. We need people to help teach or help sign in. And so I was like, well, oh, I can do that. I'm not a teacher, but I like kids and I think that would be a good place for me. And so I signed up and jumped right in. They put me with the preschoolers and it's just great. I mean, seeing also that side of how the Lord works in children and their hearts for Jesus and each other. Um, and also the lesson plans and how it works out that their lesson plans line up sometimes with the sermons or even what I'm going through in my own life and the lessons that I'm able to talk through with them. I'm Amy Hockenberry, and I like serving in kids ministry because I love getting to know the kids and their families.
2: And I am Amy's husband, Keith, and I enjoy serving in kids ministry for a couple reasons. First, the foundation um, is super important, more important now than ever in the culture that we're in today to get these kiddos a strong foundation in the Lord and, and we're helping do that in kids ministry and then it also provides Amy and I an opportunity to serve together which is really enjoyable as well.
0: We would love to have you join us in kids ministry as we help kids find and follow Jesus. Good morning. My name is Katie, and this is Jess, and we um, get to lead kids' ministry together, and we have an awesome team. And so one of the big wins, we love to celebrate wins, is that Pastor Ryan shared it a couple weeks ago, but we have um, identical um classes for first and second service now. And so we have so many kids back there. We're averaging around 100 every Sunday. And that is just a huge celebration because not only are the kids um, being fed, but we're um, we're seeking to fill and, and challenge and empower their parents too. So that's a huge, huge win. And it takes a lot of people. So um, those of you who are in here, thank you for how you pour into the kids, either at Amplify or Nursery or Check-In or Um, there are so many ways that you have been pouring into the kids and you are changing, um, their lives. They are seeing Jesus in huge ways, how you love them, how you meet them where they're at and how you learn with them. So I just wanted to say thank you for, um, just the years that you've put into kids ministry. Some of you have been doing it forever. Some of you have been doing it, um, a little while now. Some of you, did do it in previous years, and so we just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for pouring into those kids because it is really making a difference. Good morning, yes, so piggyback off of Katie, we
1: have about 100 kids down there average on a Sunday, so when it seems quiet in here, um, it never slows down back there, ever. So now that we do have identical first and second service classes, we do need help. Um, we have amazing volunteers, but we want to make sure that we have a healthy rotation of those volunteers so that we're not burning out because helping kids find and follow Jesus is one of the most rewarding things that we can do here. Um, We learn so much alongside with them. It's not a lifetime commitment. You can volunteer for a while. You can do it once a month, once, you know, whatever works for your schedule, but we need you. Um, So if you're feeling the pull at all, please do not hesitate to reach out to myself or Katie. Um, On your connection card, you can circle whatever may have come of interest and leave your info, and then we can get with you to see if we can get you into the rotation. Um, You won't regret it. It's, It's a really fun place to be down that hallway. If you haven't
0: been down there, we invite you to come check it out as well. So during this time, um, we want to pray over our offering. Um, there are many ways that you can give. You can give online. There's a box. Um, you can put your connection card if that's something that the Lord is calling you to do at this time. Um, connection card in that box as well. On the other side, there are prayer requests, and we would love to hear those too. We pray over those every single Monday as a staff. Little or a bit, to walk alongside you in that. Um, but at this time, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you are doing um, in this church, God, how you are not a God that stays in four walls, but I see so many families um, reaching out to their communities, the schools. um, They are being the hands and feet of you, God. I see so many um, people reaching out to friends to do a Bible study or um, just want to be more and more like you, God. We pray that as you continue to um, bless us with little kiddos, that you would empower us to be bold with the truth of your word, God, that we would continue to open the Bible every single Sunday and point kiddos to you, that they would feel so equipped and and empowered to read your word, God, because it is the living word. We're thankful that um, we get to do this and that you are working in and through us um, in kids ministry, God. We pray over the sermon today that um, the Holy Spirit would prompt us to continue to grow and, and um, grow our roots deeper in you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.
2: Katie and Jess, thank you, and good morning, New Hope. Good to see you all, both online and also on campus here. I'm Ryan, the lead pastor, if we haven't met, and uh, so glad that we are Together on this beautiful day, if you would please, as we say every Sunday, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in two different places this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 and also Matthew chapter 20. So if you want to kind of put your fingers in both of those places, if you have a paper version or digital, you can just kind of get those queued up. Luke 9 and Matthew 20. And as you're turning there, uh, you've already heard it actually, I think two or three times this morning. So I'm going to say it one more time. The mission of our church helping people find and follow Jesus. It's not just something we say on Sunday. It's something that we believe and we embrace and we strive to live out. And part of that mission that we want to live out is outreach. It's that we acknowledge that we don't exist just for ourselves as a church, but for the community where God has placed us. Dallas County is our heart and the people that we want to reach. And outreach becomes a priority. And I want to share with you this morning just briefly about a new opportunity that we are We are praying about and we are pursuing as a way that we can reach people or do outreach in Dallas County, not just now for 2022, but in the years to come. I want to introduce you to what we're calling a block party trailer. See, a block party trailer is uh, the idea behind it. The vision is that it's a trailer, literally, that is pre-packed with everything that is needed to host a neighborhood gathering. Things like tables and chairs and Bibles and information and coloring books for kids and a snow cone machine and a bounce house and everything that is already in the trailer and it's ready to go. And the idea goes like this, that, that you as your, with your small group or maybe a ministry team, that you have a heart for the people around you. Maybe it's a, your neighborhood where you live or maybe it's the neighborhood of somebody else in your group or, or just a place that you know just can use a, a chance to bless other people. And you, you pray as a group and then you identify a date and maybe put some flyers out or social media or something like that. And you say, hey, we're going to be coming and we want to do this block party. And you, bring, and you come and, and, and really the trailer is like a library book. You come and check it out, uh, bring a truck or an SUV, hook it up, drive it over and set it up. It's all there, pull it out. And it's a great way to build relationships with people and to have gospel conversations, to bless people with no strings attached, and it's a great way for anybody in the congregation to say, I have a heart for these people and how can we do something to bless them? It's a great start. And so this block party trailer, this vision that we've been talking about and praying about for a while, it says, today's the day to, to share it with you. Our goal is that we could get this built and launched this summer. But to do so, we, we need your help. And, and here's, here's where we're at. We've identified, next slide, some, some ways that we, uh, things that would go into the trailer and the trailer itself. And you can see there on the left, items are already donated or we have. Uh, this has been wonderful. We've already had people step up and say, I love the vision. I want to be a part of this. And I have X or Y and I want to donate that to the trailer. So thank you for all that you have done that. But on the right, you see some other things that we still are in need of. And so I'm coming to you and, and sharing this vision with you and just asking if God is tugging at your heart and, you've, and you want to be a part of this kind of ministry, That there's two ways to get involved. And really one of them is for all of us. The first one is that would you pray? And would you pray that God would use this kind of tool, that's really all that it is, a tool to do ministry for years to come and to bless people and to build relationships. Would you just pray over this tool And second, if God is tugging your heart to to be a part of, maybe you look at that list, you're like, oh, I've got that coolers or whatever, I'd like to donate that. Great. Or, or if you want to make a financial contribution, whatever it is, to come alongside and to help us get this trailer put together here in the next handful of weeks and to get it launched this summer so that we can begin to use it. Um, there's an email address there at the bottom. You can reach out and get the most updated list. You can um, use the memo line on a check if you want to give to it. Either way, I cannot wait to see how God's going to use this tool to again fulfill our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus and how he's going to use you who use the trailer to do this kind of ministry. It's going to be so exciting. So thank you for letting me just share that vision with you about this new tool that we want to do. And hopefully you're there now in Luke as well as Matthew. And as you remember, we're going through this sermon series called The Twelve. And what we're doing is looking at the lives of the twelve disciples each week, taking a moment to to look at each disciple and and who they were and where they came from, their their rough edges, their good points, and how Jesus took them and and shaped them and refined them and worked in their life to help them become the people that he is called them to be. I think when we go through these stories, and we've went through a few disciples already, we're beginning to see how their stories are not too different from our stories and the things that he wants to do in our lives. And the lesson too, that God can use your life. If he can use this group of guys, he can use any one of us. And that's our heart's desire. God, would you use me for you to say that? Would he use you to make an eternal impact in the lives of other people? Now, just by way of review, we've covered a few disciples already. We talked about Peter. Uh, Peter is the the leader of the 12. He was uh, flawed, yes, but gregarious and just went for it. And we see God use him in lots of ways. We also, we have looked at Andrew. That was last Sunday. Andrew was a a humble man, a servant. And often we just see him leading people or bringing people to Jesus. Today, we're going to look at our third disciple. We're going to look at a gentleman by the name of James. He's our focus for this morning. Now I need to clarify right out of the gate because when you look at the New Testament, there are three different Jameses that are important characters. James was a common name at this time. So let me tell you who we're not talking about. First, we're not talking about James, the son of Alphaeus or James, the younger, another one of the disciples. So you have the 12 disciples, two of them were named James. So that can get a little confusing. This other James, we're gonna talk about him later. We're also not talking about James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, who in time became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, who also was the same James who wrote the book of James. And so if you're like, I love that book, I do too. But that's not who we're talking about this morning either. That's a different James. The James we're talking about this morning is one of the 12 disciples an important character of the 12. He was one that was in Jesus's inner circle. He was part of that three, that inner circle of three that Jesus kept very close to him. And he was a person that the Lord Jesus worked in his life in a powerful way. Now, here's what we know about James. First, we know that James is the brother of John. John is who we're going to talk about next Sunday, by the way. And many think that he was the older brother of John. But nonetheless, they're siblings, just like Peter and Andrew were brothers. We also know about James, that he lived in Capernaum and that he was fishing friends with Peter and Andrew. So those four guys knew each other. They spent a lot of time together. And of course, they fished together. It also appears that James and John, as brothers now from the same household, are from a prominent family. In other words, they came from money, that their family had a degree of money as well as prominence. Well, how do we get that? Well, some of the clues we get from the New Testament is, first of all, James and John's dad, Zebedee, uh, as we learn about in um, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 20, it says in his fishing enterprise that he had employees. And that wasn't always the case. And so the fact that Zebedee had a fleet of people that he employed indicated that he had a larger operation in terms of a fishing operation. In addition to that, if you look at, and we're not going to go there, but John chapter 18 Verses 15 and 16, at the end of Jesus' life, he's been arrested. He's going through those trials before being crucified. We read there in John 18 that John and then Peter with him were smuggled in and they got into the the courtyard of the high priest. And it indicates in John 18 that John knew or had a relationship with the high priest. Well, not everybody had a relationship with the high priest. That's sort of like knowing the president. I mean, you got to be somebody to know those types of people, in other words. And so the fact that John was known by the high priest and and had the the card to get past the bouncers to get into the courtyard indicated that John comes from a degree of prominence in terms of his family. Here's another thing that we might know, and this is interesting. In John chapter 19, verse 25, it gives indication that James and John's mom, Salome, was likely the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So that's interesting. So if that's true, that means that James and John and Jesus are all cousins with each other. Now, we don't know that for 100% certain, but from John 19, verse 25, that's some pretty strong uh, evidence there that they were family with each other. James is a person, as we're going to see this morning, he was a man of passion, He was a bold personality. He was a man of high ambition and achievement. He was the kind of guy that I imagine that if you were to spend time with him, you would either love the guy or he would drive you crazy. And you just want to like, be completely away from him. He was that polarizing type of figure. In fact, so much so for James and his brother John that Jesus actually gave those two boys a nickname that indicates something about them. At Mark chapter 3, verse 17, it says that James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he, Jesus, gave the name Boazenerges. That's hard to say. But there's the name, which means sons of thunder or literally sons of rage or fiery passion. That's what that means. So Jesus is like, you guys are like kettles on high heat here. You're just bouncing all over the place. And he gives them this sons of thunder nickname to these guys because of their personality and who they were. This is James. This is the person that we're going to be talking about today. And the Lord worked in James' life. And a lot of the ways that it appears that Jesus worked in James's life is helping James to focus the passion. He's kind of everywhere. He's kind of a, you know, he's high ambition again and bold and, and to focus the passion and move it in the right direction. And to see that, James is only shows up in terms of inaction in two places in the New Testament. Luke 9, Matthew 20. And so we're going to look at those two stories today, brief, these brief stories of places where we see James in action. And here's the thing, neither story is flattering. Neither account where we see James in action is one that you want to you know, post that one on Facebook because they're actually rather embarrassing for James. But nonetheless, we learn about him and we're going to learn how the Lord worked in his life. So let's look at scene number one here as we get started. Now, before we look at Luke 9, we're going to begin in Verse 51. The the setting here is that Jesus is with his disciples and he's in the north and he's gonna be heading to Jerusalem. He's gonna be heading southbound to uh, Jerusalem. He's heading to Jerusalem because he's about to go to his last Passover festival. Jesus here, this is the third time he's gonna go in his ministry and he's about to be arrested and eventually crucified and of course the resurrection. And so Jesus is focused on getting to Jerusalem and so he takes a shortcut through Samaria. Verse 51 It says, as the time approached for him, that's Jesus now, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out um, uh, for Jerusalem. That resolutely set out means to set his face toward. He is determined to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. In other words, he sends some of the disciples to go ahead of him to, to get provisions. Hit the local Hy-Vee, find a place to stay, you know, just kind of gather the things that are needed. So when Jesus and the rest of the group show up. The provisions are there and are waiting for them. But it finishes up, it says, But the people there in this Samaritan village did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. Now, Samaritans and Israelites, Jewish people, at this time did not like each other. There was incredibly deep racial, political, and religious divide. They didn't speak. They didn't interact with each other. They didn't work together. They despised one another. So it really is no surprise that the Samaritan village here is not interested in helping the disciples. More than that, I want to show you this map here real quick. Because to highlight how much they hated each other, the blue line on that map, Jerusalem's in the south and Jesus is coming from the north there. The blue line indicates the route the Jewish people would take when traveling from north to south. They would go way out of their way into the desert, cross the Jordan River two times, which is highly inconvenient and even dangerous, in order to, as they would say, not get Samaritan dust on their sandals. That's the degree of hatred they had toward the Samaritans. But Jesus takes the red road. He's going to shoot straight through, and he had a habit of doing this. This is not the only time he did it. This would have made the disciples very uncomfortable, maybe frustrated. But nonetheless, here they are going through this Samaritan uh, section of country here into the Samaritan village. Then we get to verse 54, which is either one of the funniest verses in the Bible or it's actually very tragic. I'll let you decide here, but this is so just real life. The people in Samaritan, the village, they dismissed the guys. They wouldn't help. They wouldn't provide provisions or lodging. Verse 54 says, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Are you kidding me? Like, they don't get food and lodging, and so what did they ask Jesus? Like, can we barbecue the Samaritans? Like, we are so angry, they, they make this sort of irrational, passionate plea. These are the sons of thunder in action. This is who these guys are and asking if they can call down fire from heaven. Now notice, and I actually put it in red to call it out. Do you notice like their arrogance of saying like, Lord, Lord do you want us to do this? Because we do volunteer. We know you probably won't do it, but just say the word, please, and we'll exonerate you completely, but we want to do it. They're so mad and they just... They just want revenge. Here's the thing. Jesus has spent months with these guys. He only has days left. And it's like James and John still don't get it. Jesus came to seek and to save, and they're like all wanted to kill and destroy. Like they're they're not, it's not getting in. It must have been such a discouraging moment for Jesus here as he sees them make this this request to hurt the people of Samaria. Jesus' response in verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. This is not a flattering moment for James, but it is a teachable moment. It is a teachable moment here. And if we're honest, we've all been in this place before, haven't we? We've been so angry inside. For whatever reason, you can't see straight. You're just so mad. And it's almost scary what you could do in that moment. This is where James is at. He's angry. He's vengeful. But here's the lesson that for us, and also that Jesus would have taught for James in this type of situation here. It's your first fill in the blank. It's this that we are like Jesus when we love the people who hurt us, whether with their words, with their nonverbals, whatever it is. In this world, this happens all the time. We, we get hurt, and we hurt other people, sometimes unintentionally, and sometimes intentionally. But we're a lot like Jesus when we respond with love to the people that hurt us. And this was the example of Jesus. I mean, think about his ministry in the Samaritans, which frankly, by the way, the Samaritans, until they got to know him, didn't like Jesus either because they just saw a Jewish man. But Jesus, who was willing to heal a Samaritan leper, Jesus, who went out of his way again on that map, taking the Red Road into Samaria so he can meet with an outcast woman at a well in John chapter 4 and to who he was, revealing that he was the Messiah. And then to go to the Samaritan village of hers and stay there and to minister to those people. The same Jesus who in Acts chapter one, verse eight, commissions out his disciples and his church, including us, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and where? Samaria, including our Samarias, the places and the people that we don't really like the places and the people that we wouldn't necessarily choose to go to and to love and to serve. This is what Jesus modeled, and this is what Jesus commands. We love, we are a lot like Jesus when we love those who hate and who hurt. Now, let's be honest. This is a growing segment in our culture here in America. You see it every day. People are angry. People are short. People are rude, and, and, and on it goes. It's, it's like it's just getting worse. The opportunities are abundant to respond with love and patience and kindness to those types of people. So, so that's our first scene with James. We're not off to a great start, but that's number one. Here, here's scene number two with James, and now we're in Matthew chapter 20. So if you put a finger there, or you can turn there, or you can just follow along on the screen behind. Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to pick up in verse 20. It says then the mother of Zebedee's sons this is Salome again came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want he asked and she said grant that one of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. In other words would you give my two boys James and John the best positions in the kingdom in heaven would you give them the best spots? Jesus replied, you, now by the way, that you is actually y'all. That's, that's you, it's plural, is what this is here in the Greek. And so he's speaking to all three of them now. When he responds back, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And that cup I'm going to drink, the cup is a figure of speech for suffering. That's what he's talking about. In other words, he's asking, are you willing to suffer for me? That was his response back. We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. In other words, you boys, you are going to suffer. But to sit at my right or left isn't for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So this is an interesting scene because you have the mom coming up, Salome, who, by the way, might be Jesus's aunt, a little inside track and might be a large financial contributor to the ministry. Maybe another inside track. But she ha- comes with a mom's heart, and she brings her boys, and she asks, again, for the best spots in heaven, asks for the best th- throne, if you will. Now, why would she ask this? Well, if you go back to Matthew 19, and you can just look on the slide here, um, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, and he makes his 12 disciples, minus Judas, he makes a promise to them. And here's the promise. He says, you who have followed me to the the disciples will also sit on 12 thrones. So the reason she's asking for this is because Jesus went to the boys and and, and others and said, you're going to get thrones in heaven. But the verse isn't done because it's followed up with this. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now, here's what happened, at least I think. James and John hear this conversation and this promise from Jesus, you boys are going to get a throne and that's all they saw and that's all they heard. And all of a sudden their mind is just running like a throne. Is it a big throne, a gold throne? Like where's the throne going to be? I can't believe I get a throne. This is amazing. And he's so excited about the throne. And so they're talking about the throne. They go, Hey mom, guess what? Here's a perk. We get a throne. This is why the mom goes and says, look, can you just position their thrones like to your right and left, like position them in the good spots. That communicates to everybody that my boys are the important boys. I'm proud of my boys. I love my boys. This is the scene and this is what's going on here. All they heard was throne, but all they got from Jesus was cup. Here's your next fill in the blank. James wanted a throne. He wanted the best throne. But what Jesus first offered is a cup. He didn't take the throne away. The throne will come. But he says, but James, to get there, you need to not be focused on that part. You need to be focused on what I have for you and what I've called you to today. And James, that's going to involve you drinking from a cup that I'm about to partake in. It's a cup of suffering. It's a cup that is not going to be easy for you to drink. Part of it, because this world isn't easy to live through. But there were some things that Jesus was going to be calling James to that was hard. Because see what James didn't know that day, but we know today is that James's life would be cut short. He wasn't going to live a long time. In fact, from this day, fast forward 14 years to the year 44 AD, and James would be the very first of the 12 disciples to be killed or martyred for his faith. He was, he, he was killed. Uh, we learn this in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You can just follow along. They say it was was about this time that King Herod, this isn't, by the way, the same King Herod of Jesus' day. It's a title. That Herod had passed away. This was King Herod Agrippa, a different. This is his grandson. So King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. In other words, he was beheaded. Herod did this to please the Jewish people. See, people started to pick up after a while that this church was not the same thing as Judaism. Judaism was protected by Rome. But these other Christians, they don't worship the same. And they won't even worship the Roman emperor. And that made them mad. And so Herod says, I've got an idea. And so he rounds up some Christians, persecutes them, kills James, and the Jewish people that day, especially the religious leaders, applauded him. Yay, King Herod, your political polling numbers went up. And so Herod saw that and so he went after more. He arrested more Christians, including Peter. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 12. You keep going. He arrested Peter, but Peter was miraculously rescued and was not put to the sword. That was the end of James. And that's our second snapshot. Those are the two scenes that we see James in action. So what can we learn from James I think one lesson that we can learn has to do with we're well, really a warning. I want to share this warning with all of us this morning, and I'm going to do it as a fill- in the blank. Here's your next one, is that you and I, we need to pay attention to ambition. When I say ambition, what I mean is an intense drive to achieve. That's what I mean by that. See, where our ambition is placed, it reveals a lot about us, doesn't it? What is it that, what is it that drives you? What, what is it or what part of your life do you work the hardest at? Because it's that most important thing. Where is your ambition placed? These are important questions to reflect on because where our ambition is placed reveals a lot about who you and I are as people. And, and, and if you look at our lives and you look at scripture too, see we know that our ambition can be self-focused. And when I say self-focused, what I mean is a striving to, to be the best, to have the best and to best your neighbor. That's a very self-oriented type of ambition, but when we look at scripture, what we see is that our primary ambition is to be for the Lord. Our primary ambition is to be in pursuit of Him. Like, look at verses with me, like just look on the screen behind Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul again says, We have as our ambition to please Jesus. And these types of scriptures, I think, can be encouraging but also convicting as we think about where is our ambition placed. And I also acknowledge this morning, and maybe as you do your own reflecting, I think it's a fine line between ambition for the Lord and ambition for things that connect to the Lord. And what I mean by that is things like ministry. Because sometimes we can even do ministry, but what we're really wanting is people to notice us. Or what we're really wanting is is to sort of feed pride or whatever it is. I mean, some say we never have a pure motive for anything. But regardless, as we look at this idea, this constant striving to say my greatest ambition needs to continually be on him and not on all these other things that we pursue. Not that those things are bad. It's about priority is what we're talking about this morning. And what is the So what do we do? I want to offer you two ideas this morning. The first one is pray. I think this is something that you and I need to constantly bring before the Lord. And God in a posture of God would you would you help and make sure that my ambitions and my priorities are rightly aligned? Because it can get off track. It's like a puck on ice. It just doesn't stay still. It just slides. It just moves. Help me in this area. So not only prayer, but next, prioritize. And that is to have intentionality, to make Jesus your primary ambition. And the thing about it is like we have to learn this. Nobody rolls out of bed and just gets it right. This is a process of learning. This is a process of really lordship. This is a process of living out Matthew chapter six verse thirty-three. I love this verse because it really captures so much of this. It says, "Seek first the king." Well, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Other translations: "Seek first the kingdom of God." You see that priority thing? That's a ranking thing. Make this number one, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. In other words, He's going to take care of all your needs. Here's your job and my job. Make Him your highest priority you just lock in on that and you let God be God. And you let him be provider and comforter and and all that you need, that he knows you need and you know you need. Let him take care of all that. Just lock in on him and make him your highest priority. See, James didn't live a long life. But the fact that Herod scooped him up first, I think is a good indication That he was living bold, vocal, and ambitious for the Lord. Why else would he pursue James? He was probably the most like obnoxious, annoying, vocal person standing on any street corner talking to anybody he could possibly talk to about Jesus. And so he was an easy target. And again, he didn't live long. But he becomes a great example to us. And speaking of example, I want to close with this because this came to mind And I think this is a fitting way to to wrap up this morning. It's a Roman coin. It looks like this. And what it has on there, it has an ox. And the ox is facing an altar and a plow. And the inscription there says, ready for either. And I think that's a fitting example of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Because whether the Lord gives you a long life or a short life, his brother John's gonna live almost to 100 years old. James didn't get that many years. And whether for you in your life, what God has called to you, the cup he has extended to you is one that you're gonna give the ultimate sacrifice at an age earlier than you expected or your cup, if you will, is to live a daily sacrifice with the plow, of God, use my life day by day for how many years you have for me. Long or short, it doesn't matter. Really, the the, the question is, as followers of Jesus, are you willing for either to say, Lord, my life is poured out before you as an offering. And as he asked James and John, I'm willing to take and drink the cup that you've given to me. There is a cost to discipleship. And we've never said here at New Hope Church, it's easy to follow Jesus. But we have promised because he promises it is the best life you'll ever live. There's nothing like following him. But there's a price tag. My question for us this morning is, are we ready for either one? And to say, Lord, whatever that is you have for me, you are my greatest ambition. So, I'm going to invite the the worship team to come up. And as they're getting ready, I have a double dog dare for you. Are you ready for it? I hope 100% of you will take this on. Because when I first say it, you're going to be like, ugh, can't do it. No, no, you can. You can. I promise. Here's my challenge for you there's a verse I want you to memorize. Now I know some of you are like, okay, I'm out. I I don't even know my phone number. Like I need my phone for that. Like, right? No, no, you, you can do this. I picked a short one, but this one is so important because this verse, this is the mission statement of John the Baptist, actually. He tells us, he said, this is the most important thing about me. You cut me open in terms of John the Baptist. This is what I'm about. And this oriented him in terms of why am I here for John the Baptist? We as a church have a mission statement. This was his and here's the thing. This, this verse, this could be your mission statement. This could be one that you embrace for your life. Hang it on a bathroom mirror. Hang it on a wall. Put it in your car. Look at it all the time. Memorize it so that you have it because this mission statement will serve you well and help you and I as we think about where we place our ambition. And here it is. It's eight words we can do this. He, Jesus, must become greater And I must become less. You see what that does? It tips the scales. It recognizes who Jesus is and who I am in relationship. And it puts him in a position where they say, Lord, you are priority. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom. He's, He's got you. He'll take care of you. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of all of it. He can take care of you. I want to encourage you this week, memorize this verse, do some reflecting, consider where you place your ambition and make that intentional decision of Jesus, I'm going to make you greater in my life day by day. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to worship together and respond to him for how he is. And remember, we'll have people up here to pray with you. If you've got anything that you'd like to pray with somebody about, they'll be up here near the stage when the service is over. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we recognize that there is something for James's life and example and how you worked in his life that is for all of us. That every single one of us, and I'll go first, can be blinded and off track because of ambition. And some of it's for me. And Father, we want to come before you this morning as we give a, a little tune up to our life and to say, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, to seek your kingdom above all else, that you would be greater in our lives day by day. And we recognize we need to pray through this and prioritize this. So help us as a church and as individuals to make this our greatest pursuit. You're so worthy, Father. We love you. And we thank you that though you extend to us all a cup, we all have to drink. We thank you that your grace and your kindness and your love and your leadership is so much better. And you lead us through it moment by moment, every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.